God bless you. It's so good to be back again with you today. Thank you so much for coming. We realize it's not always possible to travel to a service somewhere and to fellowship with the other people there. So we bring the service to you, wherever you are. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you discover God's peace and His promises for your life. Would you open in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 7? That's where we're going to be today. Hebrews is right before the book of Revelation toward the end of the Bible, a little bit before the book of Revelation. And we'll also show those verses up here in the video for you just to make it easier for you to follow along. I'd like to talk to you today about all things new. There's times in life when we take a moment to look back and think about how we've lived, what we've accomplished in life, the decisions that we've made, the things that we've done. There's good memories that immediately come to mind, things that make us smile when we stare off into the distance or look down into that cup of coffee. One of the greatest moments in my life was when I married my wife, Patricia, and I'm reminded how blessed I am every time I look in her eyes. There's plenty of things to look back at and to be thankful for, but there's also those memories that remind us of mistakes we've made in other areas of life the times when we've acted selfishly, or the times when we said things that hurt someone else, the times when we just did something that we shouldn't have done. We cringe when we remember those times, and we wish that we could just go back and somehow make it right. We wish that we could just have a new start. Wouldn't it be nice if those things could be forgotten, as if they never existed? Wouldn't it be great if everything could just be new? Well, that's what Hebrews chapter 7 is talking about in our scriptures for today. Let's look at it now. We're actually going to start at the last verse of the previous chapter in Hebrews 6, verse 20. It says, Where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, or Melchizedek, as we would say it in Hebrew. Now, we started off on that last verse in chapter 6 because it tells of this prophecy in the Tanakh, what we say in English, the Old Testament, that talks about how the Messiah himself would be the new high priest from a new order, something called the order of Melchizedek. And that's where Hebrews chapter 7 is going to start up now, talking about that prophecy from the Tanakh. So let's start in Hebrews chapter 7 now, verse 1. It says, For this Melchizedek, the priest or the king of Salem, priest of Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, First being translated, his name was translated as King of Righteousness. Remember last week we said it's Melchi, my king, Tzedek, my king of righteousness. And then also King of Salem, as it is said, which means king of, pay, of peace. That's just another way of saying peace. Nowadays we say Shalom. Back then you could also say Salem. Okay, so he was the king of peace and he was my king of righteousness. It says in verse 3, as we continue, that without father, without mother, without genealogy at all, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually talking about this Melchizedek. Verse 4 continues, Now consider how great this man was, to whom even Abraham of Inu, the patriarch Abraham our father, gave a tenth of his spoils. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi, that's how we say Levi in Hebrew, by the way, Levi. And indeed, those who are the sons of Levi, who receive the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people, according to the law that God gave Moses on Sinai, you see. And he says, according to the law, they receive tithes from the people, that is, from their own brothers though they have come from the loins of Abraham. Verse 6 tells what we're getting into here. 
But he who, whose genealogy is not derived from them, not derived from Abraham, not derived from the 12 tribes of Israel, talking about Melchizedek, but he whose genealogy is not derived from them, it says in verse 6, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Melchizedek received tithes from Abraham. That's what it's saying. And then he turned around and blessed Abraham. Now verse 7 says, Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is always blessed by the better. But here, mortal men from the tribe of Levi receive tithes, but there he receives them. And we don't know what tribe he was from. We don't know anything about him. He has no beginning and no end. And he receives tithes from Abraham, of whom it is witnessed simply that he lives. We don't know how he began. We don't know anything about his beginning. He has no end, you see. Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, if you think about it, because Levi was still in the loins of his father, Abraham, it says in verse 10, when Melchizedek, the king of righteousness, met him. Now here's what we're saying in these verses. It seems a little cryptic at first. It seems a little difficult to understand what the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying. But these first 10 verses here introducing us to this really interesting person called Melchizedek. And they're pointing out reasons why he represents a new order of priesthood that is very different from the Levitical priesthood described in the law or the Torah the first five books of the Bible. Here's what we're saying. It says in these first ten verses that this guy is different. He wasn't of one of the tw uh, twelve tribes of Israel. We don't have any information about his beginning or his end. So far as we know, in the book of Genesis, he, he had no beginning or end. Now here's, here's why that's strange. Here's why that's special especially in the book of Genesis, which in Hebrew is Asephah Bereshit, or the book of beginnings, the book of the first times. Things that describe people usually have their genealogy. It tells who their father was. It tells how long they lived. It tells who their mother was, and even their brothers and sisters. But here's this man spoken of in the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis, and it doesn't give anything about where he came from, where he's going. As far as we know, according to the book of Genesis, which usually gives information about the birth and their death later, this man doesn't have a beginning and he doesn't have an end. And then there's something else interesting about this man, Melchizedek this priest, this great high priest of God Most High. That's what the scriptures call him there. There's something very interesting about him because Abraham was so impressed with this man, Melchizedek, that he gave this man, this high priest, tithes, a tenth of all that he owned. Well, you only do that in the law of Moses that God gave Moses on Mount Sinai. You only give tithes to the order of the priesthood that God has put into place for that covenant. And the first covenant we're talking about is the covenant that God made with Moses and with the people of Israel. And He gave Moses the law on Sinai, all of those 613 commands. We call them in Hebrew, Sheshmot Shalosh Esrei Mitzvot, or the 613 commands that you needed to do. Some were commands that told you what not to do. Others were commands that said, do this. So you had commands that said, don't do this, and you had other commands that said, do these things. But all together, whether the do's or the don'ts, you put them all together and there were 613 commands in the Torah that were identified that God told Moses to tell the people of Israel what to do and what not to do. That was the covenant that God made with Israel when He gave Moses that law on Mount Sinai. 
That is the covenant that He made with them when He brought them out of the land of Egypt and they were wandering in the wilderness. And God gave them His law. In that law, He specified that all of the people from the tribe of Levi, remember Levi in English, were to be part of what we call the Levitical priesthood, the priesthood of those people from Levi. And it was a priesthood that would administer to the 613 laws that God had given to Israel. They would take care of the tabernacle. They would set it up. They would tear it down at the end or when they were about to move again. When the Lord moved, they would take up, tear the tabernacle down and move where the Lord was leading them and then they would set it up. These were all the responsibilities of the tribe of Levi or Levi. Well, the tribe of Levi would set up all these things, but they would also do the offerings, you see. And there was a special niche or a special group in the tribe of Levi that were descended directly from Aaron. Now, who is Aaron? Well, that's how we say in Hebrew, Aaron, the brother of Moses. So Aaron is Ha'ach Shel Moshe. He's the brother of Moses, of Moses the prophet. And their descendants from Aaron were called the Kohens. In fact, in Hebrew, what we call the high priest is referred to as Hakohen Hagadol, and it means the Kohen, the great one, or the the great large one. And so, the the high priest is Hakohen Hagadol, or the the Kohen, the great one. Okay, or in other words, the great Kohen. And this was a special priesthood that would attend to the sacrifices and things like that that God had prescribed. And they had to be descendants directly from Aaron, or Aaron, the brother of Moses. But now, in this book that we're reading now in chapter 7, it's talking about this Melchizedek, and it points out in the first 10 verses that he's not from that tribe. He's not from the uh, order of priesthood that came from Aaron. So what's going on here? Well, God in the Tanakh, in the Torah, all the way back, Basifah Bereshit in the book of Genesis, at the first of the Bible, God is talking about this other order of priesthood that exists. And it's a mystery. We don't know much about it until we get on through it and start to understand it a little more. And so we're going to find out that not only was there this other order that God had spoken of, and not only was it not of the first covenant that God had made with Moses when He gave Israel the law, but it was a completely different order, in fact, as we saw from that first verse at the end of chapter 6 today when we opened up our message today. We saw that God Himself had given a prophecy that had been written down in the Tanakh that He's speaking to the Mashiach, the Messiah, and He says, you will be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now that's pretty impressive. How can someone be a priest forever? I mean, normal men would come and go. They would live their lives and then eventually they would die and they would be replaced with someone else from the order of Aaron. But this particular new order that God is instituting is speaking to the Messiah prophetically and saying, you will be a priest forever. Well, right there, that just raises some questions, doesn't it? How can he be a priest forever? Because men live and die, right? Not this priest. The one whom God is talking to, the Mashiach, the Messiah, according to this prophecy that he speaks of him, that you are going to be a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. If he lives forever, then he can't be a normal man. You see what I'm saying? We've talked about this before. God himself would come and be our Messiah. All the glory always ends up with God. All the glory for all the wonderful things done always ends up with God. He will not share His glory with another. 
it says in the scriptures. And he himself went forward because of his great love for mankind. And he got the victory over sin and gave us everlasting life because of his atonement, his atonement on the cross. God became a man. And now God prophetically from the very first books in the Bible, in the Tanakh, are speaking, God Himself is speaking of and prophetically saying of this Mashiach, you will be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So obviously, if you want to identify who the Messiah is, you got to look at who this Melchizedek is because he's, going, he's saying this Messiah will be a priest forever after the order of this guy Melchizedek. Let's continue reading in verse 11 in this mysterious chapter, chapter 7 of the book of Hebrews. It says in verse 11, Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, the first covenant, what further need was there for another priest that would arise to the order of Melchizedek? and not be called according to the order of Aaron. Verse 13 continues, For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe, from which no man has ever officiated at the altar. For it is evident, he says in verse 14, that our Lord arose from the tribe of Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood, and it is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come, not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. Remember, Melchizedek didn't have beginning or end. Then verse 17 says, For God testifies, and here he mentions this verse again, For God Himself testifies about this Messiah. And he says, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, the author of the book of Hebrews is quoting this prophecy that God himself made about the Messiah in the Tanakh. So if you're my Hebrew brother and sister, if you're my Jewish brother and sister, remember I'm Jewish too, you've got some questions, don't you? Here's this thing where you're, you're reading these verses in the New Testament, <laughs> Habritachadasha is what you call it in Hebrew, and we'll get into that later. It turns out it's spoken of exactly like that in the Tanakh as well. Basefer Yeremiah Navi in the book of Jeremiah the prophet. But here's God Himself being referred to in the place of the Tanakh where He says to the Messiah, You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So let's talk about these verses that we just read from verse 11 through 17. We see in these verses that not only does it speak of a new order, but now it puts in place this new order to take the place of someday, eventually in prophecy, and we believe that time has already happened, to take the place of the previous Levitical priestly order. We'll talk about why. Sinless priests live forever. But there is no sinless people on planet earth. It says two times in the book of Psalms, once in the book of Isaiah, that God looked everywhere and didn't find anyone who was good. It said, no, not one. But sinless priests is what's being talked about now when he says you're a priest forever. So what's going on? If all men have sinned and therefore all men die, they, they're born into the world, they live for a while, and they die and had to be replaced for someone else, by someone else. But now God is saying to this Messiah, Mashiach, the Messiah, He's saying that you are a priest forever. In other words, you live forever. The only way for a priest to live forever is to be sinless because death is a result of sin. That's why all men have died is because all men have sinned. But for this particular priest under this order of Melchizedek, He's saying this priest will be a priest forever. How can that happen if all men have sinned? Well, this one whom he's saying this to, the Mashiach, is going to live forever 
And the only explanation for that is because he will have no sin. Now think about that. Who is this man who would have no sin? We spoke of it last week in the book of Ezekiel. God himself had promised, the soul that sins, it shall die. And then he also said in the Tanakh, they've all sinned. There's none righteous. No, not one. They've all sinned. All of them have gone astray. He looked for someone who was good, who, someone who sought the Lord all the time, someone who did good, someone who was righteous. And it says in each of those three verses in the Tanakh, twice in the book of Psalms, once in the book of Isaiah, that he found none without sin. No, not one is what it says. The only way to live forever is to have no sin. So that says, if you think about it, that this Messiah is going to be someone without sin. But all men have sinned. So basically, we're seeing that this Messiah is not just a normal person. We're seeing this Messiah has to be someone other than normal people. The Jewish people today, the rabbis, think that the Messiah is going to come. He's just going to be a normal man. But these verses in the Tanakh don't agree with that. These verses in the Tanakh say that this Messiah is going to live forever. And the only way for that can happen, we've proven with verses from the Tanakh, is that that priest has no sin. There's never been such a man that lived. The only one who has claimed that. And we have believed that he is the Messiah, is Jesus the Messiah. Yeshua HaMashiach. Jesus, the anointed one, Jesus Christ. And he is the only one that lived his life completely, always keeping every moment, every second of every day, every one of those 613 commands in the previous covenant that God had made with Israel. And he did that so that he would qualify at being the Savior of the world. That he would qualify at being the blemish-free lamb, as it described in Pesach and Passover, that would take away the sins of mankind, that he would give his own life. And so it goes on to say that there will be this new covenant. A new priestly order will be responsible. Uh, a new priestly order will be given. It said that in our first ten verses, the order of Melchizedek. God speaks of it. You will be a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And then it talks about this new priest who will live forever if you kind of go through that verse and figure out what it's saying there. But then it also says that there's a new covenant that that priestly order will be responsible for. It says it like this. It says, For the priesthood being changed, of necessity there is also a change of the law change of the law? You mean changing the new covenant? Are you changing that covenant that God gave Israel on, the, on Mount Sinai? Those 613 commands, the Levitical priesthood, the uh, Aaronic descendants that were the Kohenites or, you know, for the high priest, God's going to change that law that He gave to Israel as He led them out of Egypt? According to the Tanakh, He is going to change that law. And it's talking about that right here in Hebrews chapter 7. Then it continues in verse 18. For the one, on the one hand there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. He's saying that the old law didn't work. Oh, it was righteous. It was holy. And it was pure and given by God. And it was completely perfect and righteous and holy, just like God is. But it was weak in that it required man to do something. It required man to obey every one of those 613 commands every moment, every second of every day of their life. And then it said, if you keep all the law, you can live by the law. But then God said, there's no one who keeps it all. None, no, not one. So... It didn't really save anyone. And it couldn't save anyone because all the people, every man who ever lived, had sin. And as 
he had sin, he was considered a sinner who had violated the law. He didn't keep the law. Even if you fell one time, if you fell this time, you were a violator of the law. You did not perfectly keep God's perfect law. That's why he says that this former commandment, this former covenant was weak. It wasn't because God made a weak law. It was because man had to do his part and keep the law. Verse 19 then continues. It says, For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope. Now that's being spoken of through the Tanakh, through which we can draw near to God. Well, we just talked about the old covenant and the law. But now he's talking about this new law that's going to replace the old covenant. What's he talking about? Now, maybe you're there in Israel and you're hearing this and you're going, Oh, no, here he goes again talking about this New Testament, the Christian New Testament. Did you know that the word testament and covenant mean the same thing? And did you know, and this is going to surprise you, that the Tanakh actually says something about the New Testament. In fact, God himself says that he's going to make a New Testament, a new covenant, and he's going to give it to the people, and it will replace the old covenant that he gave on Mount Sinai to Israel. It's going to replace the old covenant. You say, well, wait, we're Jewish. We always have the teachings of Moshe and the law of the Torah, and we will always have that. That's what makes us Jewish. No, that's not what makes you Jewish. What makes you Jewish is believing God. And God's testimony is that He will make a new covenant that's not like the old covenant that was given on Sinai. You say, well, that's heresy. That's a Christian thought. No, it's not. That's in the book of Yeremiahu Hanavi, in the book of Jeremiah the prophet, Batanach in the Tanakh what we call in English the Old Testament. It's in chapter 31 and verse 31 through 33. You can open up to it and look at it if you want or see it up here on the screen. That says in Jeremiah 31 verse 31 through 33, God Himself says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And it will not be according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, even though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, after that first covenant that was given on Sinai. But this is the this is the. But uh, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. He says in verse 33, says the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and I'll write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Now, this is monumental. This is something you must understand, my brothers and sisters. This is not a book in the New Testament that we're talking about. This is not a verse from the church that we're talking about. This is a verse from you. This is a, a verse from your sages, the Jewish sages. This is a verse from the Jewish prophet, Yeremiahu Hanavi, Jeremiah the prophet. This is from the Tanakh. You must look at this. You want the truth? You look at this. If you just want to believe that these things aren't there and just close your eyes and be in denial about these things, well, you could do that. If the rabbis say, no, don't read that, that's a forbidden verse. We don't have a new covenant. We have the old covenant that God gave to Moses on Sinai. If the rabbis tell you that, but yet the Tanakh that you're holding in your hand, that you trust, that you've given your life to, and when the Tanakh itself says, no, God is saying, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. That's in verse 31 of chapter 31 of the book of Jeremiah. And if you look at the Hebrew, my brothers and sisters, you'll know what I'm talking about. Because when he says new covenant, he says in Hebrew, Brit 
Hachadashah. That's how we say it in Hebrew, right? Think of all the rabbis that talk badly about the New Covenant or the New Testament that Christians use in addition to the Torah and the Tanakh. Not instead of, but in addition to the Torah and the Tanakh. They talk bad about the Brit Hachadashah. Some rabbis get copies of the Christian New Covenant and they burn it. And yet here is God Himself saying in Jeremiah 31 verse 31, Behold, what does behold mean? It means look, pay attention to this, pay attention to this, what I'm telling you is important, behold the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant, Hebrew is with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. That's the very name that we call the Christian New Covenant in Israel today. We say that the Christians believe in a Hadashah. They pick up a copy of the New Testament and they say, this is a Hadashah. And here's Jeremiah in the Tanakh where God Himself is saying, I will make, God will make, God is saying, I will make a new covenant, a Brit HaChadashah with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. But then He goes on in verse 32 and He says, and it's not going to be like the covenant I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke though I was faithful to it, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. He's saying that this new covenant is going to be different than the previous covenant and is going to replace the previous covenant. This is God saying these things. Now are you going to believe your rabbis or are you going to believe God? When you show them this verse, some of them will say, well, we don't believe in that part or there's got to be a mistake. We had one Jewish lady who read that in the Jewish Bible. And we showed her where it said that in the Jewish Bible. And she goes, oh my, I bet God was really mad with Jeremiah the prophet because he wrote something about the Brit HaKadoshah, about the Christian New Testament in the Tanakh. No. God didn't do anything wrong. Jeremiah didn't give any prophecy that was wrong. Your theology is wrong. That's what's wrong. Why are you trying to blame God when you've been lied to about the truth? The truth is God Himself is making a new covenant with the house of Israel. And He says in verse 32 of chapter 31 of Jeremiah the prophet in the Tanakh, the Jewish Tanakh, he says that it's not going to be like the covenant that I made with their fathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. He said, they broke my covenant. They broke His, his laws. We know that. The whole Old Testament, the whole Tanakh is filled with instances of God is punishing them for not keeping His commands. But God kept His part of the covenant. You see, covenants can be two or three different types of covenants. There can be a covenant like a contract where God says, I will do this if you will do that. And He was saying, I will provide for you. I'll keep you. I'll lead you. I'll protect you. I'll do all these things for you if you'll keep all my laws and statutes. Well, that was the covenant that He made with them on Sinai. All those 613 commands. Well, they broke many of them all the time. They started worshiping idols. They did this. They did that. They weren't observing the Shabbat. So they were doing all of these things and they broke so many of those commands. And God is saying now, my previous covenant was good, but you broke it. Even though I was faithful and I did what I was saying I would do, you broke it, he says in verse 32 of Jeremiah 31. But verse 33 continues. He said, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, after that covenant of Sinai. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I'll write it on their hearts. And I'll be their God and they shall be my people. Now we've talked about this old covenant 
the one given on Sinai. And we talked about how God himself said he's going to replace it with a new covenant called Habrita Chadashah, which is exactly what you call the Christian New Testament. And these two work together. The law works together with the new covenant. That's why Christians believe in the Torah and they believe in the Tanakh. And they believe, just as you do, that it is the Word of God. And they also believe what Jeremiah in the Tanakh said, where God said, I will make this new covenant. And therefore, the Christians have the new covenant that fits together with these and confirms everything that the Torah, everything that the Tanakh says, and the Torah and the Tanakh in prophecies point to what God is going to do in or the New Testament. This isn't heresy. These work together. This is the same Lord who spoke the word in the Tanakh, speaks the word in And He warns you, He tells you what He's going to do right there in the Tanakh in Jeremiah 31, 31. So we continue in these next verses of chapter 7 of the book of Hebrews. And we see how God places His chosen and anointed high priest over this new priestly order, the order of Melchizedek, and over this new covenant that He's established. In Hebrews chapter 7, continuing on from verse 20, it says, And insomuch as He was not made a priest without an oath, talking about the Mashiach, the Messiah, verse 21 continues, for they became priests without oath, talking about the Levitical priests. God did not testify of their priesthood individually as He did of the Mashiach, but with an oath by God Himself saying to the Mashiach in the Tanakh, the Lord has sworn and will not change His mind and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So from what we know so far, he's saying, you're a priest forever. You're going to live forever. You're going to be the high priest forever. And it's not going to be the Levitical order. It's going to be the order of Melchizedek. So it doesn't come from the tribe of Levi. It doesn't even come from the loins or from the lineage of Abraham. It comes from the order of a priest with no beginning and no end. And he's saying to the Mashiach, you're going to be a priest forever according to that order. And you're going to be over this new covenant. So verse 22 continues, By so much more Yeshua, Jesus, has become the surety or the guarantee of a better covenant. And also it says in verse 23, there were many priests. Because they were prevented by death from continuing. They couldn't continue because they would live for so many years and then they would die. So there had to be many priests under the Levitical priesthood. But verse 24 continues, But he, because he lives forever, he continues forever talking about the Mashiach, has an unchangeable priesthood. He's the high priest forever. You see the differences between these two covenants. One is based on man. One is based on the lives of sinful men. One is based on sinful men that need to atone for their own sins before they can atone for the sins of Israel because they have sin. But this new one doesn't have sin and so he will continue forever in this unchangeable priesthood. This order of Melchizedek which is forever has a new covenant which is forever and has a new high priest who lives forever. And it says in verse 25, Therefore... He is also able to save to the uttermost, to save completely those who come to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest, it says in verse 26, was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and He has become higher than the heavens." Who does not need daily, as those other high priests did, to offer up sacrifices, first for their own sins and then for the sins of the people? For this 
he did once for all when he offered up himself as a perfect, blemish-free, sinless atonement on the altar of God when he gave himself on the cross for us. Verse 28 then wraps it up for this chapter. It says, For the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness. But the word of the oath, the oath of God in the Tanakh, which came after the law, appoints the Son who has been perfected forever. In other words, God put a forever high priest over this forever priestly order. And then He gave a forever new covenant that He had promised in Jeremiah 31. Now so far, Hebrews 7 then says that we have an everlasting order for the priesthood, the order of Melchizedek, and we have an everlasting high priest who lives forever, who will be over that order. And we have a new covenant that will be forever, not based on the law given on Sinai, but one this time based on God's mercy, forgiveness, and grace. And you will have a new heart, one which God Himself will clean and remove the sin from. And He will write His laws onto your heart. That's right. This new order, this new high priest, this new covenant will result in you having a new heart. In fact, you yourself will be a new creation, a new, born-again person, cleansed and forgiven. And God's Holy Spirit will dwell in you. You will be new, a new you, with a new heart, a heart that seeks after God. That's what the Bible also says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. That old life is gone. A new life has started. Now that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? A lot of people are looking for a new chance, a, a new start in life. They're looking for a way to leave the failures and the heartaches of the past behind. They're looking for newness, a new beginning. And the new beginning that God is offering is more than just a second chance. It's a new beginning where God extends His mercy to you daily day after day. He's not looking to judge your sins. He's looking to forgive your sins and to show you His mercy. The Bible says that His mercy lasts forever. It says that His mercies are new every morning. That's what the Tanakh says. Each new day that comes your way. Once you're born again into His family, you are a child of God. And even though you make mistakes as you go through life, you're still going to be His child. He's going to be working with you, patiently changing your heart, growing you just as any father would that new child. You're in His family now, and your Heavenly Father loves you greatly. You're His forever. Think of it like this. The new life that God gives you is called an everlasting life. God means exactly what He says. It is an everlasting life. He's not going to take it back. He's not going to take it back. Once you commit your ways to Him, He's going to see you safely through. Your life is caught in His grace, and nobody can take you out of His hands. That's what Hebrews chapter 7 is saying. This is a beautiful promise that God gives to all who will believe on His Mashiach, His Messiah. And the Messiah, Jesus, is the Anointed One and the Lord Himself. And He is the key to all of this newness everlasting life in the kingdom of heaven through him. He himself said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except by me. And then finally, at the end of the Bible, at the end of the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verse 5, God just summarizes all the stuff that he's doing new. And he says, look. I am making everything new. Revelation 21 verse 5. My Jewish brothers and sisters, you look at that. It agrees completely with the verses that we've read from the Tanakh. It agrees completely with what God is doing that He told us He was going to do in the Tanakh. He told us He was going to have a new order, a new high priest who lives forever. He told us He was going to have a new covenant. 
He told us He was going to change your heart and write His laws on your heart. And then in Revelation 21.5, He's making a new heaven and a new earth. And He says, look. Now when you see that word look, pay attention. It's just like that word behold. God is saying, pay attention now. Look at this. Make sure you understand this. Look, I am making everything new. That's what we're saying today. God makes all things new. And that is indeed a fitting ending. He made a new order. He gave us a new high priest and a king who lives forever and is always representing us before God. He gave us a new covenant in which we were forgiven all of our sins so that we would not be judged. He made you into a new creation with a new heart and He gives you the gift of everlasting life to enjoy it all. And now in the grand finale, He will make a new heaven and a new earth in which everything will be new. And God will dwell with man forever in His kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. So I have some questions for you. Do you want to be new? Would you like all those failures erased and forgotten? Do you want to be a child of God, the creator of all things? Do you want to be cared for by Him? Do you want to be able to walk with Him? And do you want to have everlasting life? Then just say, yes, I do. Just say yes to God. And He will take your life and He will make all things new. Here's what I'm saying. God is making all things new. And He's doing all of this because He loves you. He wants you to be forgiven of your sins. He wants you to have a new heart. He wants you to be in heaven with Him throughout eternity. He wants you to have everlasting life and to know His love. He wants you to know His care throughout all of eternity. So you see, God is making all things new. His new order is set in eternity. It's about everlasting life. His great high priest in this new order is the one who has given us His life to pay for the atonement for our sins so we are now clean in Him. That means that we can stand before God and live forever in the kingdom of heaven because our sins have been removed. Our uncleanness has been removed. And finally, in this new covenant, you have hope. This new covenant is not based on your works, which were never good enough anyway. It's based on God's mercy, which is always more than enough to cover our sins and shortcomings. By believing on the Son of God, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ, you will be born again into an everlasting life. The Bible says that you will be new, with a new heart, new desires, new hopes that are rooted in heaven. God will take your life and He'll make all things new. He will guide you through life and watch over you as His child. He'll see you safely through life and safely into His kingdom. And He'll do all this because He is the God who makes all things new. Now you may be thinking that you've got nothing at all to give God. You don't have anything to offer Him. You've got nothing for Him to work with. But that's okay because remember, He's the creator of all things. He made the universe by the word of His mouth. He's the God who made everything that is. And He made it all from nothing. He can take your nothing and make it into something beautiful. No matter what's going on in your life, no matter what trials have come against you, no matter what sort of deep pain and uncertainty you may be facing, God can make it all new. He wants to take that life of just struggling to survive and He wants to turn it into an everlasting life that will bloom and blossom and thrive. Bring that broken life, those broken dreams, bring them to God and let Him fix what's broken. He's the God who can fix what's broken. He'll heal what's hurting. He'll calm those anxious thoughts. He'll plant hope where there used to be none. And in the Bible, He was the one who restored that which was lost. He's the God who renamed those with bad reputations to Mary and Martha. He's the one who resurrected their brother Lazarus from the dead. He's the one who multiplied the five loaves and the two fishes to feed thousands of hungry people. 
He's the one who made the lame to walk and the blind to see. He's the God who looked at the universe of darkness and said, let there be light, and there was light. He's the God who took the sin and death and hopelessness of man and turned it into everlasting life in the kingdom of heaven. He's the one who calmed the storm with His word alone. He's the God who takes away that loneliness and promises to be with you always and to never leave you nor forsake you. He's the healer of your body and He's the savior of your soul. He's the fixer of what's broken. He's the guide of the lost and the light and the darkness. He's the peace for the fearful and hope for the hopeless. There is nothing too hard for Him because all things are possible with God. And He will make all the difference in your life because He's the God who makes all things new. Amen. Why don't you give your life to Him today, right now? If you call out to Him, He'll hear that cry and He'll answer you. He'll rescue you from that darkness and He'll shine His light on your heart and you'll be given newness of life. He'll change you into a new person and throw all of that bad history away. You'll be given completely new life. He'll give you everlasting life in heaven. That's guaranteed by God Himself. We want to give you an opportunity to believe in Jesus as the Messiah and Lord and to receive God's peace in your life. You can be saved and given everlasting life in heaven by simply believing that God sent His one and only Son into the world to save us from judgment. You can pray something like this. Just repeat after me. God, I do want to know you and have real peace in life. I believe on your son, Jesus Christ, as Lord. Please forgive all my sins. I give my life to you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, God heard it. And he's already started working in your life. Seeds were planted. Over time, you're going to see the wonderful changes he's making in your heart. Get in a good Bible-based church, learn about Him in His Word, and talk to God every day in prayer. He's going to do amazing things in your life.